0: Good morning. My name is Sarah Odell. I'm the family ministry director, and I get the honor of sharing God's word with you this morning. And um, I was thinking about how to start this sermon, and was given some advice, like, tell a funny story. But, like, I haven't felt super lighthearted for the past couple weeks. And so, like, yes, Mika's stuffed animals have started wearing her panties as diapers and calling me grandma, and that's funny, but it has nothing to do with what we're talking today. And because my heart has been heavy for the past couple weeks. And as I've been out in our community, at my kids' schools, talking to you guys, talking to people at the Thanksgiving dinner here at High Point this past Thursday night, there's a lot of that in our community. And so, I don't have a funny story to start us off with, but I can tell you that there is hope, and that what we're talking today about is shalom. And when Prentice asked me to preach, she said, can you preach on shalom? And I said, yeah, peace, I got this. And then I did some research, and I realized, oh, this is so much more than peace. And I don't, I don't have this. And God has been doing a lot of work in me in the past couple weeks. So I'm sharing today with you, not from a place of Because I'm up here and preaching to you, I have it all together, and I know Jesus so well, we're BFFs, and I'm all tuned in. I'm preaching to you from a place of I desperately, desperately need Jesus' mercy and grace in my life, and if I'm gonna even take a stab at somehow by his mighty work being a conduit that he uses to bring his shalom into this world, goes beyond what I'm able to understand. And if he can do it through me, in all of the mess that I have, the temper that I have, the pride that I can have, the fear that I can have, there is not a doubt in my mind that he's going to eat, wants to use, can use, and is going to use each one of you. So no matter who you are, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I'm so excited for us to talk about Shalom and understand it more together but let's pray not to invite the Holy Spirit here because he is with you, she is with you all the time, but to acknowledge that we've set aside this time together this morning. You chose to be here. You didn't have to be here. You chose, you came. And so we're acknowledging that we are here for this next half an hour to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to each one of us individually and to us collectively. So please join me in praying. Abba, it's amazing to me that you see it, not even just worthwhile, but the greatest desire of your heart to be intimately with us. And we're so grateful that you do. So Holy Spirit, guide our time together this morning. I pray against distractions, whether it's smartphones or grocery lists or... Full bladders, or whatever it is that's going to distract us. Lord, I pray against those stopping us from hearing what your Holy Spirit has to say to us today. Lord, we're here because we think you have something to offer. We know you have something to offer that we're not going to find anywhere else. And so we're here in obedience and with anticipation and with a huge acknowledgement of our immense, overwhelming need for you, for your grace, for your mercy, and for your shalom in our lives. We entrust this time to you. May the words that we speak, that I speak, bring hope and life and joy and shalom. And may any of them that do anything other than that fall flat on the ground and never be remembered. Thank you for being with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our text that we read today in Psalm 104 really paints this beautiful picture of shalom. But before we talk about shalom, we have to unlearn what peace is, because we don't actually have a great word for shalom in English. That's why we're using Hebrew and saying shalom this morning. The word peace, and this is at the top of your bulletin, simply means the absence of conflict. Just the absence of conflict. And I know we talk a lot about peace, especially as we near the holidays, we start talking about peace. But I think if we're honest, most of us are looking for something more than peace. Most of us aren't just looking for a space that doesn't have any conflict but also doesn't have anything really going for us either. Just kind of this void, neutral, gray space. I think most of us are looking for something more than that. And what we're looking for, I think, is shalom. Here's the best definition of shalom I could find in all of my research. And I think if you listen closely, you'll also hear that I think this is the best definition of the kingdom of God I've actually ever come across. True shalom, then, is not the absence of conflict or the cessation of hostility, but a state achieved by bringing equilibrium to what is unbalanced, justice where there is inequity, integrity where there is unrighteousness, wholeness where there is disintegration, and healing and health where there is sickness and disease. Shalom is not the absence of conflict. That's good news and that's bad news. That's bad news because we're told and something in us feels like if I could just get to a place where there was no conflict, then everything would be okay. There's just always something knocking me down and stopping me, and if I could just put all of that to the side, everything would be fine, and it would flourish. But you and I both know that's not the way it worked. Conflict is guaranteed. It is guaranteed, no matter what. Like, you've probably already had some this morning. And if you haven't, like, you're going to have some later today. But the good news, the mind-blowing news, is that God works not just in spite of the discomfort and the conflict and our own failings, He works right there. He works right there, and that is amazing. If we look at that passage in Psalm 104, it talks about everything is getting exactly what it needs. The creatures are thriving, nature is thriving, even all of space is thriving. And we're on the creation portion of your bulletins. Everything is in its proper place. What's also striking to me is that he also addresses the lion, he, he addresses an absence of conflict, actually, because God's ultimate design for the world is shalom and peace. No conflict and everything thriving. The lions go out during the night And then when the sun rises, they go away, and man comes out. There's no conflict in that scenario. But we know that while that was the creation design, the original creation design, that's not what happened. And that's been disrupted from the very beginning, and it continues to be disrupted continually. We know that in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And evil at that point was introduced. Adam and Eve had shalom and they had peace. And then they made the choice and they introduced the disruption to shalom. And we live with that now every day. We have to understand what disrupts shalom for us before we can be agents of shalom in the world I want you guys to think about what disrupts shalom for you. What disrupts that sense of wholeness and wellness and well-being? Not, maybe it's within yourself. Maybe it's in your interactions with other people. But what disrupts that original creation design of everything thriving? What disrupts that for you? I think that whatever is popping to your mind probably is based in Fear. I think that at the heart of all of the things that disrupt us from our ability to tap in to God's peace and wholeness and healing and equality is fear. It's fear that I'm not enough. It's fear that maybe God's not big enough. It's fear that maybe there just isn't enough. And that's especially true in a Western context. And for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Kenya. And so when I talk about a Western context, I'm talking about it from this like kind of straddling the fence. Part of me is American, part of me is African, Kenyan, and I don't... So when I talk about a Western context, it's coming from a little bit of a zoomed out lens and also right in it with you. And there's this scarcity mentality that is so prevalent in Western culture that tells you... It starts with just basic advertising. And it starts in the media. And it's just this basic, "There's, there's not enough, or you're not enough. That wrinkle's a little too deep. That waistline's a little too large. That food's not quite organic enough. And it goes a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And while scarcity, while having a mindset of scarcity, might not seem at all related to fear, I promise you, if you live your life feeling like there's always not enough, I'm probably not enough, you'll find yourself nestled straight in the lap of fear. Straight in the lap of fear. And that is not a good place to be. We get a clue of how important things are in scripture by how many times they're mentioned. The phrase, do not be afraid, is mentioned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in scripture. Way more times than anything that addresses sexual morality, many more times than anything that addresses um, some sort of righteous living or show up at church or cover your head or this is how you should get baptized or don't be afraid. And if it's said hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and I'm not exaggerating by hundreds and hundreds, it's not like 102 times, it's hundreds and hundreds of times, that means it's important. And from the very beginning of Scripture, so many times in the Old Testament, the Lord is telling His people, He's telling the Israelites, don't be afraid of this army, don't be afraid of this terrible thing that's gonna happen to you. I'm with you, don't be afraid. And that continues all the way through scripture, time after time, after time, after time. In Psalm 37, 8, David says, turn away from anger, don't be afraid, it leads only to evil. Fear leads to evil. That's a pretty direct disruption of shalom. In Matthew 8, in the middle of the storm, which Prentice preached about last week, Jesus says, why are you afraid? In the middle of the storm, why are you afraid? Why were you afraid? They're not like camped on the beach with all these like flowers and dandelions. This is not the fish frying scene that we talk about with Jesus and his disciples, where it's all good. And he's like, don't be afraid. It's in the middle of the storm that Jesus says, don't. Don't be afraid. When you're getting pressed from every side, when things aren't going the way you wanted them to, when you're not sure where that job's gonna come from, when you're not sure how to handle that kid that's bullying your kid on the bus, when you're not sure how to handle, I think my kid might be the bully. Don't be afraid. Scripture goes on, and I think this is so important, so we're gonna stay on this for a minute. In Luke 12, Jesus says, who can add hours to her day by worrying? If you can't do this little thing of adding an hour to your day by worrying? What's the point? I spend a lot of time worrying. Planning, thinking, I'm a worst-case scenario sort of gal, prep for the worst case. I am my brother's emergency plan. I asked him, I'm like, what are you gonna do in an emergency? He's like, come to your house. (laughs) I was like, that's not a plan. But it's his plan. And I spend a lot of time worrying, and I don't think it's added anything to my life. And then in Ephesians 4, it's really important for me, an anchoring verse in my life. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, the wholeness, the wellness, the equality, the justice of God, will guard your hearts and your mind. Not his shalom is going to fill you and make you feel like a beautiful little butterfly. Not his shalom is going to all of a sudden make everything right in your world and get you that job or find you that perfect mate or get you that new house. That's not, this is not a health and wellness gospel that shalom is about. Peace will guard. It actually acts as a shield. Shalom is a shield against fear. But we have to acknowledge that we're afraid. We talked about the scarcity mentality, and the other observation that I want to make about Western society is that Western society really likes to operate in this dichotomy. A dichotomy is a belief that there are two opposing things, right and wrong, black and white, good and bad, me and you. And if we operate with a scarcity mentality in a dichotomous society, it will lead only to division, because you are now a threat to me. It mandates that there is an other. Shalom can't thrive in an environment where the other is always held up. And I think that's what I'm seeing so much in this post-election and pre-election, this current political climate that we're in in the United States, is that everybody, I'm using superlatives and I shouldn't, lots of people are camping down in sides and looking for the other. And there's just parallel conversations, equal insults on both sides, pretty equal responses, actually, because people have bought into this dichotomous narrative of the other. When there's a scarcity mentality, and someone's right and someone's wrong, I'm pretty inclined to think I'm right and that you're wrong. And then I'm pretty inclined to think you are now my threat, you are the threat to my job, you are the threat to the security that I have with my spouse, you are the threat that I have to um, looking pretty because you might look prettier and I don't really want that. And it also leads to comparison. All of these things, at the root of them, is fear. Fear that I'm not enough, that God's probably not enough, that there isn't enough. You all look really like, this is so depressing. (laughs) But the good news, the good news, is that we have hope, because we know that's not true. Because I know that I'm not all good or all bad, I know I'm a mixed bag. And that means that the other isn't probably really a thing either. They're just another, not the other. Scripture doesn't give us any foundation for like, setting up camps opposing one another. And we've tried a lot to like, find our lists and our charts of morality and define who's in, who's out, whatever else. The amazing news is that Jesus said, I want to bring this hope and this wholeness and this restoration And he came into the world, through a teenage unwed mother, in the most scandalous of ways, and used the most unlikely of people, and continued doing it over and over and over and over and over. Prostitutes, drunkards, thieves, people who were really, really felt, maybe like they were religiously superior, God came in and used anywhere and everywhere. And that's where the hope of Shalom is. The hope of Shalom is that somehow this amazing spiritual transaction can happen where God is able to bring that wholeness and that health and that wellness through all of us. And that's incredible. Isaiah 9-6 calls Jesus a prince of peace. When we think of a prince, we think of somebody who is in authority, but we should also think of somebody who is a leader. And we should think of Jesus as a leader of an army of Shalom. And you guys are the members of that army of Shalom, which is pretty incredible. And it's not just you guys that are in here. like All of humanity has the option to be drafted in this army of Shalom. And when we think of an army, we often think of weapons and war. And that can sound like a violent image. But imagine if your army is equipped not with weapons that bring about destruction, but weapons that bring about justice and equality and restoration and hope and healing and wellness and thriving. That's really incredible. And you guys, that's what God is asking us to do. And I know we're kind of flying through the first part of this outline today with the creation. We talked about that. The disruption, we talked about that. The hope, we're on that right now with Jesus. It's because we're gonna spend most of our time in culmination today. Jesus is our hope. Um, there's, if I'm really honest, there's a big part of me that doesn't like that, actually. Like, I'm kind of, I'm an includer, I don't know if any of you have taken the strengths test, but I'm an includer. Like, everybody's in, I want everybody in, nobody's out. And so I don't really love this, like, exclusivity of the gospel bit, and, like, Jesus being the one door. And... I'm, and yet, at the end of the day, if I look at my life, I can see over and over where Jesus coming as God to earth has transformed my life. And so, I have, I have, to, go with, I have to go with that. Um, and God and I are still sometimes a little bit at odds on that one, actually, where I'm like, can you please, can we just like f- open the floodgates? All people, I don't want, like, I don't like this straight and narrow, and I wrestle with that, and I just want you guys to know that I wrestle with that, and so when I say, Jesus is your hope, please don't hear that as like a pat, like, yay, Jesus, this is where we're headed, like, this is all that we need to do, because I wrestle with sometimes what feels to me, especially in a culture like Seattle, that is super inclusive and open-minded, how my story, my faith story might come across, and somebody might hear, you're out, I'm in, and that's, the message of Jesus is a message of hope, and a message of opening wide the opportunity for shalom for all people. So, Jesus is our Prince of Peace, and then Ephesians two fourteen also says, He himself is our peace. So that's Jesus. Jesus is the hope of shalom, that somehow God brought that wholeness here to earth. So we've talked about how God can use all of us no matter who we are. And we've talked about how that shalom is one day gonna be fully back here on earth. And I wanna actually take you guys to Isaiah 6. I'm a little, let me grab there in my notes. Isaiah 6 is the verse that talks about the lion lying down with the lamb and paints this beautiful picture of peace and tranquility between where they were normally opposition. And then in Revelation 21, chapter, or verses 3 and 4, there will be a day where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That sounds like a great promise, but we know that's not yet. So that part of shalom, that culmination of shalom, we trust is going to come someday, but it's not yet. But a lot of people want to hang their hats. I'm like, well, that's coming someday, so like, I'm just kind of waiting until that comes. And it's good hope for me and it helps me push through the hard things in my life because I know one day God will dry every tear from my eye. And that's true, and that's hope. But if all we believe is that shalom is only possible someday in the future, that leads us to apathy now for being agents of God's wholeness and healing to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. So the fullness of shalom and the absence of conflict, yeah, that's not yet. We know that's not yet. But there is a part of Shalom that's now, and that's what we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about today, because it's incredibly, incredibly important. And when I talked about the army of peace and the weapons of peace, you know what that weapon is? It's the Holy Spirit. The weapon of peace is the Holy Spirit who is in each one of you. so we're going to talk about the now and we're going to get really practical because i think it's important to get practical and to understand how does this actually manifest in my life and when i started this i said god's been doing a lot of work in me on this the past couple weeks and it's because i spent like until wednesday of this past week waiting for what i just told you not to wait for i was waiting for peace I was waiting for the absence of conflict, so I had this beautiful little moment with my cup of coffee and my quiet children and my nice music, and maybe a slight drizzle, but not too much, not too little, (laughs) so I could sit there and write this beautiful sermon about flourishing. It did not come. That moment did not come. Instead, things kept coming from left, right, and center. All of the Odells ran out of underwear. for multiple days. I don't even know what we did in those portions in between. It was just like, I can't even get to my laundry because there's so many things coming at me from so many different directions. I was really rocked by the election. I just dove dove straight off of social media and the news. I just couldn't take it. Not because I'm filled with dread, and I've got family members who voted on both sides, all sides. This isn't about aligning with one political party or the other. But what wrecked me was to see so many people Fear, whether you believe this is legitimate or illegitimate, there are people who are truly afraid right now. And that wrecked me and broke my heart. And I kept showing up at places, like a peace gathering in my kids' school and the High Point dinner, knocking on my neighbor's doors, and everybody felt the same way. And it wrecked me. And I couldn't shake that feeling, and I still can't over the past two weeks. To see my community hurting and afraid. And in the middle of it, to be tasked with writing this message and giving you this message on wholeness and health and wellness and equality, equilibrium. Feels like there's not a lot of that right now. But in John 16:33, Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles, I find it a little annoying how many times Jesus is like, you're going to have trouble, don't worry about tomorrow, it has enough trouble of its own. I'm like, okay, I get the point. Like, this is, can you stop already with the, like reminding me? But in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So what does it look like? And that's what I really wrestled with the past two weeks. Like, What does it look like to live in to shalom? And what I ended up realizing... It was a 2020 vision sort of thing where I got to the end of Wednesday and I realized, oh, shalom has been happening in the middle of me looking for peace. And I just missed it because I was looking for the wrong thing. So I'm going to give you three little tips that I think um, helped me and I hope will be helpful to you in noticing, noticing shalom and then becoming people, men and women, who bring that into every interaction that we have. The first is that you have to accept God's grace and mercy with yourself. You have to accept God's grace and mercy with yourself. That means you have to acknowledge you need it. That goes back to acknowledging the fear. Because if you don't know you need it, you can't accept it. But we all desperately, desperately need it. Romans twelve three says, "Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but in humility, consider yourself." And then a few words later, it says, "Be reasonable." And I've always t- um, taken that verse to be like, "Yeah, I shouldn't think I'm super great, but I actually think that there's an arrogance involved in thinking I'm not good enough." Yeah, just you know, like just writing yourself off or setting yourself apart. I also think that often we're a lot harder on ourselves than we are on others. And I will be much sooner to tell you, it's okay, just order a pizza tonight. And inside, I will tell myself, Sarah, don't ever have a bad day where you have to order a pizza. Like, that'd be a major fail. Or to tell you, like, it's okay if you screamed at your kids. It's okay if you totally lost your cool at work. It's okay if you. Whatever it is that's filling in your mind right now, I would be much more likely to tell you, that's okay, God's got this. God works through messed up people than I am to believe that in myself. But that's arrogant for me to think that somehow I'm supposed to reach this super high level that I would never hold you to. Be reasonable. Scripture tells us be reasonable. God has given you enough for what you need today And it's by God's grace and God's grace alone that you have what you need for today. Secondly, be flexible with your plans. The thing about the disruption of Shalom as God created it is that we don't get the script. I like plans. I like to know what's going to happen. I read the last page of a book before I start the book because I want to know if there's a happy ending. I ask my husband when we start to watch any sort of intense movie, like, do the main characters live and he's like, I'm not going to spoil that for you. I'm like, no, truly, you're not spoiling it. I will enjoy this more if I know the ending. That's how much I like control. I love control. I have this huge planner, and I get lots of compliments on it, and that validates my desire to have control. <laughs> but that's not really how it works, and that's really not how God works. God needs us to be flexible, to hold our plans loosely. I'm not saying don't make plans. But scripture also tells us a person can make their plans, but God directs their steps. And we've got to, it doesn't say God picks up your foot and places it, right? Like God directs, he gives a direction. I can make my plan, but God's going to give a direction. And I hope that someday those two start to overlay more and more and more. My past few weeks have gotten so interrupted, and a lot of the teaching pastors will tell you about how they have this like, plan for the week, and how they sit down on Tuesday and write their whole sermon, and then they tweak it on Wednesday, and maybe a little bit on Thursday, don't touch it Friday, Saturday, till two hours Saturday, I mean, like, they got a plan, and I'm like, I like this plan, sounds good, it's working for you, you do it every week, I'm going to try this, and it kept getting interrupted, and it was Wednesday morning, and I had... I was already feeling super behind, and I had set out these chunks of time, and then Prentice and I were going to get together to talk over my sermon, and I was like, I'm going to have it written. And then I looked at my calendar, and I was like, oh, yeah. I made that appointment to go visit that family with a new baby from our congregation. I got to do that. And I texted them and was like, hey, could you... Can I bump this up half an hour cuz I'll already be out of the house for my kids. If not no worries, I'll still be there prepping the sermon. And they're like, "Don't just don't come. Don't worry about it." And I was like, "No, I got to I got to show up." And I showed up. I held this little baby who was born 8 weeks early, and I got to hold him on his due date. And I was sitting there and I was holding him. And he fell asleep in my arms. And I looked at him, and I was like, this is shalom. Like, everything I'm wishing for this baby right now is what shalom is. No one hears a crying baby and is like, cry harder. (laughs) That's not how we respond. We see a baby, it doesn't matter whose baby it is, where that baby is from, what that baby's parents believe. If that parent's babies are in jail or not, a drug addict or not, had an affair to have this baby or not, it does not matter. When we look at a baby, we want that baby to thrive. If it's sad, we want to hold it. If it's hungry, we want to feed it. If it's cold, we want to wrap it up. That's shalom. And it doesn't matter if you're a parent, it doesn't even matter if you like children. Mm -hmm. Like I've never met a person who's like, ugh, babies, and we're like. (laughs) I think they just came like from the lap of God. And when we look at them, we get this little glimpse of like what the fullness of God is in these little tiny packages. And I was thinking this morning, like, babies are the most needy creature on the entire planet. And not for, like, a couple days, like baby mice. Like, those guys have it rough, they're blind, I'm sorry. But, like, it's over pretty fast for baby mice. But baby babies, I mean, like, we're talking years and years of needing one another, needing us. And that's also what shalom is. Because shalom happens when we're together. I can pursue shalom all I want in my life. I can pursue health and wellness and thriving for me and mine and my camp. And it doesn't matter how far I get, if I'm not interested in yours, mine is not complete. If I am not interested in your, whoever you are, I'm not just talking to this room of people who all align with my same religious beliefs. No matter who You are, your shalom, your thriving, your wellness, your wholeness is directly tied to mine. And do you know why? Because we collectively are made in the image of God. That means there's a unique piece of God in you, and a unique piece of God in you, and a unique piece of God in you. you. And in you, in every single one of you, there's a unique piece of God, and if that piece of God is not thriving, then the, then the image of God in the world is not complete. And so the message of shalom, of wholeness, of wellness, is a all hands on deck, all soldiers report. I need everybody at their best, and your best is not a threat to me because it's a different piece of the image of God. And that does away with the other mentality, it does away with the scarcity mentality, and it does away with the fear mentality. Hold your plans flexibly. You don't know where God is gonna show up. And he use you in shalom. The last thing is that we need to be present and obedient. I wanna read a little, I'm gonna call it a warning from this book that is awesome. It's called Accidental Saints, Finding God in All the Wrong People by Pastor Nadia Boltz Weber. Because what what we're gearing towards, what I sensed God saying to me this past week and what I believe he's saying to you is like, it is time for you, people of God, who know God and know that you know God. Like God is everywhere, but you know that you know him. You know that you know the Holy Spirit. You know that you know Jesus. Even if it doesn't feel that way today, I bet at some point in your life, you had some experience that tuned you in to this awesome, not so secret, but somehow so missed reality that the divine is always with us. And what God is saying and what our country and our world and our city is saying is like we're looking for shalom. We're looking for shalom. And we're finding snippets of it in a good meal or in an embrace from someone we love or in a promotion at work or buying that new house or maybe in friendly interaction with our neighbor. But those are fleeting glimpses of shalom. Those are like the tip of the iceberg of shalom. And we have experienced more of the depth. And the world needs it. And the world needs it. But I want to read this warning because as I was prepping this sermon, I was like, something feels off about this. I'm a daughter of a missionary kid, and there's something that can feel sort of um, imperialistic or prescriptive about coming in and saying, like, you need Jesus. And I know what my heart is and intention is in it, but there can be something that I don't know if that's true for you or not, but for me can feel a little, I like backpedal real fast from evangelism. I've got issues from my childhood, but... That's okay. So, I want to read this little portion to you. After meeting with this person and struggling with what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world where I am so prone to pride, I looked harder at Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is that passage where Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. And then this next part really jumped out to me at this time. I was in prison, and you visited me. I think it's easy to see Jesus in the people who are hurting and naked and hungry, but it's a little bit harder sometimes to live into that. I was in prison, and you visited me. But that's right in there with the list. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when? When did we see you and do all of those things for you? And the king will answer them, I tell you, when you did it for the least of these, you did it to me. But here's the warning. I looked harder at that passage and realized that if Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me, then Christ's presence is not embodied in those who feed the hungry as important as that work is, but Christ's presence is in the hungry being fed. While we as the people of God are certainly called to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, the whole we're we're blessed to be a blessing thing can be kind of dangerous. It can be dangerous when we self-importantly place ourselves above the world, waiting to descend on those below so we can be the blessing they've been waiting for, like it or not. Plus, seeing myself as a blessing can pretty easily obscure the way in which I am actually a part of the problem and can hide the ways in which I too am poor and needing care. Seeing myself or my church or my denomination as the blessing can easily descend into a blend of benevolence and paternalism. We can start to see the poor as supporting characters in a big story about how noble, selfless, and helpful we are. But, If Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me, then Christ's presence is not embodied in those who feed the hungry, but Christ's presence is in the hungry being fed. Christ's presence is in shalom coming in. Christ's presence is in justice coming where there was injustice. Christ's presence is where hope was offered where there wasn't hope before. And that can't happen without you. You're a really, really, really important part of what God wants to do. But it's God who's doing it. It's God who's doing it. And I have to remind myself of that all the time because it feels good to help people. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But that's not the reason that we do it. And that's not where the miracle happens either. When we show up, when we be there, Jesus does something miraculous, and it's incredible. The other reason, um, and I kind of hesitated to say this, because uh, I was like, ooh, that feels really hard. But I still think it needs to be said. Remember how we talked about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and how Adam and Eve ate from that, and they had known shalom with God, and then evil was introduced, the world knows evil, and the world can get snippets of shalom and peace. But we talked about how we have unique deeper knowledge of the rest of that iceberg of shalom. And there's a verse. I want to make sure I get this reference right for you. There's a verse in Luke 11:52 where Jesus said, "You have the key of knowledge." and you're not using it for yourself, and you're blocking the way for those who are trying to find it. And there are so many people who say, I'm out with Jesus because I can't handle the church. And that stinks. And there are, I mean, like it's taken me a few years to even not cringe a little inwardly when people say, what do you do? And I'm like, I work at a church. Because it doesn't have a great rep here in Seattle, and it increasingly doesn't have a great rep in the world. And I think that's because people are looking for shalom. But at a quick glance, sometimes it doesn't always feel like we're putting ourselves out there to bring it to people. And Jesus says, there's people, they're looking. They're looking for it. And so our call is to not be a hindrance to that in any way, shape, or form. Because people are looking. The exciting news in that is that people are looking. That people are looking. There's this one other quote that I found from this man named Pennington. And he says, sorry about this, Human flourishing alone is the idea that encompasses all human activity and goals because there is nothing so natural and inescapable as the desire to live and to live in peace, security, love, health, and happiness. These are not merely cultural values or the desire of a certain people or time period. The desire for human flourishing motivates everything's human do. All human behavior, when analyzed deeply enough, will be found to be motivated by the desire for life and flourishing." individually and corporately. The world needs you. Seattle needs you. West Seattle needs you. They need you, and I know it's scary. And I've talked to so many people who are like, I know that there's still so much injustice and inequality, and I want to do something about it, and there's still so much that needs to be done on racial equality and gender equality and socioeconomic equality and there are all these things that need to be done and I don't I don't know what to do. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't think I'm qualified. There's not time for you to wonder if you're qualified. People are literally dying looking for shalom and you have it. You have it. And I know that's true because when I showed up Wednesday night at a peace gathering at Myrtle Park Reservoir, 70 other people showed up. I didn't do or say anything special. I just said, Hi, how are you? And people just answered. And so many people, and I saw this interaction happening over and over and over between so many people, Wholeness was brought in that moment for people. Healing was brought in that moment for people. Myself included. Wellness was brought for those people. And hope was brought for those people. You have the capacity. You have the time. You are qualified because Jesus is in you. And Jesus has said you're enough. And that's the end of this. That's it. Like, if Jesus says you're enough, you're enough. Like, you don't really get to... Argue with that. Why waste your time arguing with that? For some of you, that's going to look like maybe something really big, like, okay, I know I finally need to make that big life change. I finally need to quit that thing. I finally need to pursue that thing. I finally need to call that organization. It's time for us to foster. It's time for us to pursue getting really involved with that NGO. For a lot of you, it might look like something that feels smaller. It's not smaller. Stop with the comparison. Jesus needs you everywhere. We don't get to decide how valuable it is where he needs us. Maybe it's knocking on your neighbor's door. Maybe it's just catching your spouse's eye in a hard moment at home. Maybe it's calling a friend who you know is having a hard time. Maybe it's calling somebody who you know is always supporting other people and saying, hey, you're always supporting other people. Do you need anything? The great news about being agents of Shalom is that we don't have to know the answer. I was reading in Jesus Calling this week, and it said, trust me for the outcome. You're not in charge of the outcome. I'm in charge of the outcome, but I need you there to do what I have to do. So my encouragement to you is that whether that healing and wholeness and restoration Work needs to be done first inside of you, and that's important work, you guys. That's important work. If the, if the break in you is in yourself and in your belief that Jesus' mercy and grace is enough for you, do that work. That's so valuable. That's so valuable. And if you know that enough, I mean, we still are always all learning that, I hope. I know I am. Then you... you you can do it. I know you I know you can and I know that the Holy Spirit in you is going to show you where. And so my prayer for you as we go from this place in just a little while is that you will know. You will know that the Holy Spirit is always with you, teaching you and instructing you in the way he has for you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have remained with us, and that you will. Thank you that you are a God who desires wholeness and healing and reconciliation and health and equality. Lord, I pray that you would break down the barriers that stop us from doing that, that instead we would step boldly straight towards you and follow where you lead our steps. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.